Good afternoon, guys. It is going to be just Pete today. Jen is still, we're both getting over a cold. That's why you didn't see us on Wednesday. Um, I have recovered a little bit quicker. Uh, maybe I'm just lucky. Uh, I'll, I'll assume that that's the reason. Uh, but we are going to do our second podcast of the week, which is important because there were way too many important things for us to talk about. Uh, obviously, there were some significant elections this week, starting, of course, with John Fetterman winning the Democratic nomination for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Uh, that is definitely one of the biggest races, uh, probably in modern times. Um, there really isn't anyone like Bernie Sanders in the U.S. Senate that isn't completely engulfed by corporate money. Maybe you could say Rand Paul if you want to say him. Um, but ultimately, this could be a huge, huge win um, because the uh, prospect of going up against Dr. Oz, which it appears that that's who is going to be the GOP nominee, is going to be a huge deal. Then, of course, obviously, Summer Lee in, in Pittsburgh winning her congressional race, despite all of the APAC and DMFI money. Uh, that was very, very big. So, of course, I'm not just going to pontificate myself. I'm going to bring in my good friend, who you know is the host of Status Quo News, Jordan Cheriton. Obviously, there are a number of topics we're going to talk about. We've only got about a half hour to 40 minutes to really hammer it away, uh, but definitely wanted to get this in on Friday. Uh, it is pouring rain here in South Florida, so this is a great way to uh, be uh, sort of entertained on a you know Friday afternoon. Lots of things happening. But without further ado, you know him as the host of Status Quo News, does real journalism. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. And of course, uh, he is somebody who has been a very influential part of a lot of the groundwork that has been done within the non-corporate political movement. Jordan Chariton of Status Quo, welcome to Generational Change. Hey there, sir. Good to see you as always. Uh, you know, obviously, we, we can, I think a lot of times we overstate, you know, just how important these elections are. But I really do think that with some of the victories that ultimately did happen on Tuesday, um, despite what happened to Nina Turner in Cleveland, I think this was a significant pick me up in a very, very quick turnaround amount of time for people to feel a little bit more galvanized than they otherwise were just a, you know, a little over a week ago. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think that Summerlee in particular, uh, you know, I, I think she's a little bit more, uh, I guess you could say, in the capital P progressive. Uh, I think Fetterman's good on a lot of issues, but I don't yeah. think he's really embraced progressive. Uh, he's not, you know, he's more like a union guy and an everyday guy. But I think he'll be more kind of mainstream Democrat and better on some issues. Uh, Summerlee, uh, yeah, I think basically – what you had is a blueprint where Summerlee actually first upset um, an incumbent to get into the state, uh, the state house in Pennsylvania uh, two years ago. So she was already in office, having won kind of an uh, upset two years ago, built her credibility there, and uh, was basically cruising to an easy victory before APAC and other super PACs dumped in a lot of money. So there are differences between her and Nina because obviously Nina was not a current um, state official in no. um, in Ohio. She, had, she hasn't been a current official for many years. She had more of a national profile through Bernie than like a, a local profile anymore in Cleveland. So I think some are not only getting in there uh, as an elected official locally uh, and then building an infrastructure to then run for Congress made a big difference. Uh, and, you know, although there is a, although there is um, a positive spin on this, 
let's be clear, it could have very easily went the other way. I think, oh, the, take, yeah. I think the takeaway needs to be uh, literally a state representative who was up by 25 to 30 points almost won because of the suffocation of money going into that district. Uh, that's how the union buster, who was her opponent, uh, came back to you know, almost defeat her. So uh, the money is still a major problem. And uh, the progressive movement is either going to have to figure out a way to pull it out because it's always going to be close if we win. If there is one thing that is perfectly clear that I think everybody kind of gets now is that, uh, and I know everyone wants to throw the squad out, you know, the baby out with the bathwater type of thing. Um, you're going to have to accept the fact that in most cases, almost all cases, very rare exceptions, if there's an incumbent, they're not going to endorse if there's an open race and there's a progressive versus a corporate candidate, they'll get involved. But if there is a sitting incumbent, they are making it clear that they're going to walk the party line. It is unfortunate. But what happened to Nina uh, against Chantel, I think, is very emblematic of the fact that they have done that in other races. You know, if Jen were to run again against uh, Wasserman Schultz, I'm sure that, you know, despite her name recognition, even if she was able to raise a lot of money, there would probably be similar uh, tactics. It, it is what it is. We don't have to agree with them. Um, and we can vehemently disagree with them in terms of how they conduct business, especially AOC, you know, attempting to come in at the last minute for Nina. It's one of those things where, uh, you know, we, we cannot. And I think you've said this repeatedly. We cannot be looking at these representatives as heroes. That's not their job. Their job is obviously to inspire, which I think they've done. But expecting them to do everything that we would like them to do. I think we've seen enough at this point to know that. They're basically going to get involved when there isn't that roadblock that's in the way. Is that how you see it? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think we should uh, give them too much benefit of the doubt. They should have gotten involved in Nina Turner's race. Uh, it might have not made the difference based on uh, Nina Turner lost by a lot, but I think it would have been closer. And at the end of the day, uh, what are we in this for? You know, if you're the squad or not, if you're not going to fight on each one, I actually think it's more problematic, to be honest. Well, I, I don't want to say more problematic, but equally problematic that the Justice Democrats didn't didn't get involved in Nina Turner's race because their statement was just strategically. They only have so much money and they didn't think strategically it made sense. Well, she only lost by four four thousand votes the first time and she was able to be competitive. Uh, I think you and I both agree Nina, really, her best opportunity was that first election. She, yes. I think she let it get ahead, get away. She but did. as Justice Democrats, who helped raise $500,000 for her in that first race, if she narrowly lost the first race, one of the reasons she was competitive is she was able to raise a lot of money. Uh, if you don't look at that as one of your top, uh, one of your top possible flips to invest money in the second time and help the campaign, I don't really know strategically what what you're thinking uh obviously they deserve credit they they went in for summer lee but again we just saw it could have went the other way so i think that um it, it has to be more than the justice democrats uh but I, I i reiterate um you know i don't i don't want to say this is nina turner's fault but i do think it makes a difference when you are in the community recently you look at cory bush right she runs the first time cory bush was a was an activist in st louis people knew her just not the wider electorate. The wider electorate didn't know her the first time, but people in the community knew her. So she runs the first time, she gets clobbered, but she got that name recognition. And then because again, she had been in the community for many years as an activist, it was a lot easier for her to then win uh, the second go around. So I think 
for progressives, whether you're running, uh, you know, in Cleveland or elsewhere. Um, I think Nina is an exception because obviously we appreciate that she was focusing on national politics. But it you probably, you know, in many cases, you're going to have to run more than once. Uh, in some cases, the blueprint might be try to get in the state house, either in the state Senate or the state um, house uh, representatives first. Um, build an infrastructure, uh, get some name brand recognition, and then run. And you might lose even with that because Summerlee could have easily lost. Uh, I also think um, Summerlee, from what I saw, and I, I don't want to pretend that I, I didn't pay that much attention to that particular, particular race, but what I saw, she was a little bit more, she was less muted than Nina Turner was. Uh, I think we both agree Nina Turner was oh, yeah. muted. Nina was, Nina was trying to walk the tightrope and you kind of, I mean, granted, Pittsburgh and Cleveland are two completely different cities, two completely different demographics in many ways. So I kind of understand, I mean, just canvassing in Cleveland, it is an older voting demographic, you know, and that's putting it nicely. So I, I think that there were uh, there were obviously issues that Nina uh, was at fault for, uh, things that were in her control, things that were out of her control. Uh and like I said, the best thing that could have happened was that the turnaround was very quick. But look at what happened. You know, honestly, the race that's not going to get talked about enough, but I think should get talked about a lot, is uh, uh, Jamie McLeod uh, defeating Kurt Schrader out in Oregon. None of them came out for her. Nobody. I mean, that is a grassroots victory if there ever was one. And it's monumental because Schrader is without question one of the most powerful Democrats in the House. And he was endorsed by Biden. And my God, if Biden's endorsement doesn't mean dick, no offense, but let's be honest, his, he, he ain't a kingmaker the way Jim Clyburn and Barack Obama is. That is for sure. And probably even lesser than uh, even Nancy Pelosi. So I do think that that victory really says a lot. Uh, but Oregon is also one of the best states in the country. They really have it together. And th this particular lady, um, you know, really had an amazing ground game, did, uh, you know, fairly decent with fundraising for sure, but they poured so much money into Schrader's race and he still ended up losing. And I, I'm not going to say he lost convincingly, but I mean, man, he had everything working in his favor in terms of the establishment and he still lost. I think that race is one that should get more attention and isn't currently getting it. Mm -hmm. I actually, you know, I didn't pay much attention, but I will point out, I thought her ad one of her ads was amazing. Frankly, I wish Bernie would have done it in two presidential campaigns. She listed how much money Schrader has taken from oil, uh, from others. Uh, she had it in buckets, uh, one bucket. It was like a smoke barrel with how much money he's taken from uh, certain industries. And another graphic showed the amount of money he had taken from other industries and her reversing over it on a forklift. So, and she said he's bought off, like she used that, those words. It might sound simple, but th this is what you have to do. It has to be simple and aggressive and basically call them what they are, corrupt. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not gonna say that's why she won, but if you're first being introduced to a candidate and she's kind of folksy and like an everyday person and she's burning a barrel with uh, her opponent's donor money in there and she's saying he's been bought by industry, that's a pretty clear message and most people don't like that. Um, so I, I think she had a clear message and I really wish Bernie, um, would have done that, not just with money, but I mean, the ads were there to go after Biden for his total lies on his, uh, involvement with the civil rights movement, uh, his total lies that the, uh, the crime bill did not usher in mass incarceration. Uh, Bernie could have done, uh, done ads saying, you know, 
Uh, the sign of a good leader is admitting when he was wrong. I was wrong to the vote for the crime bill. President uh, Joe Biden stands by it. Here's what it did. So I think you got to be aggressive. You got to call out their donors. You got to call them corrupt. You got to say they're bought, bought off. And I think she did that. And also, to be clear, things are changing. She called him a Joe Manchin Democrat. Yeah. She called Trader a Joe Manchin Democrat. Contrary to what MSNBC, the New York Times will tell you, the people of West Virginia don't even like Joe Manchin. <laughs> and the people around the country don't like Joe Manchin. It's not like he's not moderate. It's not moderate to block like even the even the most uh, minor tinkering around the edges kind of policies. Uh, so, yeah, I think she ran a smart campaign there. You know, it's amazing. Um, I, but I think one of the biggest mistakes the corporate Democrats will have ever made it. There is precedent in history where I mean, I don't want to, you know, again, it's like everybody uses Hitler for a reference when we're talking about like what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and all that garbage. It's like I don't want to reference everything related to electoral history with somebody like Strom Thurmond. But Strom Thurmond switched from being a Democrat to a Republican uh, because of the Democrat support of JFK. So he made that conscious decision to just basically switch parties. And the parties hadn't even really switched yet, which was kind of interesting. And the reason I bring this up is because there's been ample opportunity to basically tell Joe Manchin, well, if everything you do is that of a Republican, why don't you just become a Republican already? Instead, they keep him in the party. And now you're giving non-corporate candidates the opportunity to run against corporate candidates and say they're just a Joe Manchin Democrat. And that resonates with people. They're like, oh, yeah, Manchin sucks. Uh, you're like Joe Manchin. No, I'm not voting for you. This person may be a kooky leftist, but at least I know they're not going to deliberately try to screw everybody and every chance they get. So I think that there was many of an opportunity over the last year to basically say, Joe, you want to be with the GOP? Go right ahead. They'll welcome you with open arms and you'll probably still win in West Virginia anyway. But instead, they're like, no, let's keep him in the Democratic Party because, you know, we need to have that front guy to pretend like we're actually not getting anything done. And now it looks like it could be working against them. At least that's what I see. To me, the main reason they did not do that, besides the fact that they probably just want uh, they want a fall guy to not actually do anything. But one of the main reasons they probably didn't do that is they knew if Stephen Breyer retired, Joe Manchin would be, could be the uh, deciding vote uh, to get a replacement, which uh, in this case, I don't believe was the case because uh, uh, what's okay. Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski did vote uh, for uh, uh, Supreme court justice Brown. Uh, but they thought it could be a possibility that no Republican will vote for a Supreme Court nominee to Biden, which would require Manchin as the 50th vote. That's my only theory. And that would be the only reason I would say, all right, keep Manchin around because you need that 50th, 50th vote for a justice, because we're not talking about an election cycle. We're talking about a lifetime appointment there. But other than that, I, I, I see no reason uh, the Democratic Party should have worried about uh, Joe Manchin staying in the party or going to a Republican, because even if he went to the Republican Party and the Republicans got uh, control by a vote, well, no, they wouldn't get control. It would just uh, even if they got control by a vote, what would be the difference now? Biden would just veto uh, whatever they pass narrowly. Uh, they probably wouldn't be able to pass anything because the, the filibuster would have still been in there. Uh, and you probably just would have had, you know, show trials against uh, Hunter Biden, uh, you know, and other things uh, and to impeach Biden. But materially, there wouldn't have been much of a difference. But the point is, Joe Manchin is unpopular, uh, obstructing 
actual, like there was just a new poll by NBC News that came out. 63% when asked between, do you want a bolder change that might cost more or smaller scale policies that, excuse me, bolder change that might cost more and de might definitely, might not as easily get enacted? Or do you want smaller scale change that will cost less and probably get passed? 63% said bigger change that might cost more. Yeah. So- at any time, at any time, we're able to, as as a non-corporate movement, and again, we have said this on our podcast, as you have said on yours many a times, you need an inside-outside strategy. You need to be doing work on the ground with various groups, especially the labor movement and the environmental movement. And you do need non-corporate representation in Congress, even if they're not doing nearly enough. But you know what? If you add two more to the table, if you've now got Summer Lee and you've now got Jamie McLeod Ellis, I mean, to me, that does make a difference. I would have loved to have seen our friend Erica Smith win in North Carolina. That was definitely, I would say, the worst loss of the night. Um, and the biggest reason she did lose is because the current incumbent or, or the outgoing incumbent, Mr. Butterfield, uh, endorsed Don Davis. And it is amazing how much the endorsement of the outgoing representative really makes a difference in that race. Uh, you know, can I, can I bring up one other thing? Sure. Because uh, it, it hasn't gotten attention. Uh, I just I did a video earlier, but uh, Jeff Weaver, who is basically Bernie Sanders like owl, uh, you know, he's Bernie Sanders, top advisor, closest confident. A lot of people think he's bad uh, for the progressive movement, thinks he didn't run Bernie's campaign. Well, I've reported in the past a lot of uh, Bernie uh, campaign people that were on the campaign in 2016 said not a chance in hell I'm working on the 2020 campaign if he's if he's running it again. So a lot of people don't like him. Um, but he just kind of said to Politico, um, hey, you know what? The progressive Democrats uh, in the in the House have basically been on their best behavior since Biden got into office. Uh, they've stood by him. They have not fought him. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, uh, We've been on our best behavior. And what have we gotten for it? Uh, with the blessing of the Democratic Party, super PAC assaults on our progressive candidates. So, you know, if they're going to continue up with that, we might have to change the temperature. And he actually threatened that progressive candidates could just skip the primaries and run as independent as a spoiler. It's not now, the worst idea in the world. I mean, again, it's probably one that he will not push for legitimately. Right. Or I don't I don't I don't actually think they would do it. But it's better. I would say better than nothing, but I didn't I, I never thought they would actually threaten it. But to me, if the progressives and I'm talking about Bernie, the squad, yeah. what are you getting for your loyalty to Joe Biden? You're not getting any policy. Um, you are have the, the, the core things he ran on $15 minimum wage, public option. He, he abandoned long ago. So then, OK, if you're not going to get the policy at the very least, you should be able to run and not be suffocated by super PACs that coordinate with the Democratic Party. Let's stop pretending that they don't coordinate. Uh, the super PACs are doing this at the behest of Pelosi, Schumer and leadership uh, going against Cisneros, Nina Turner, Summer Lee, et cetera. So if you're not getting anything on policy and going to try and suffocate you with, you know, Summer Lee, a local Pittsburgh race, four point five million dollars against her. That is amazing. That so is amazing. If you're not going to get anything on policy, you're they're not going to be loyal back to you in terms of at least not interfering. Then fuck it. You should uh, skip. You should skip the primary run as an independent because the only way that they're going to actually take you seriously if there is a threat yeah. to them staying in power. It's true. The same is true for anybody who plans to run for president in 24 and beyond. You know, you get 
they only react they, they only take action if they have to if they have no reason to if they think that well you're just eventually gonna my good friend joe wouldn't want to go back in the party the best night of bernie sanders two presidential runs was when he did the debate in miami after he won the michigan primary he literally boxed hillary into such a corner that i thought she was going to quit and he did everything in that debate to show why he was the best candidate to be president now of course the rampant cheating went to a whole new level after that primary because they knew they didn't have any other choice. They had to start doing that stuff. And obviously we know what happened. But if that Bernie that had ran, if everybody who has not seen or doesn't fully remember Bernie's debate with Hillary at the Miami debate right after the Michigan primary, I highly recommend you go back and watch it. Watch the highlights. I'm sure uh, several channels have a lot of it up. That was the Bernie that needed to run unequivocally in 20. And frankly, that's the way all candidates need to run. You know, you basically, you know, you, you could do it diplomatically and politely. But when you are addressing your opponent, you have to be. We need exit polling everywhere. Agreed, Kelly. That was a huge thing as well in 2016. And of course, you you cannot be afraid to tell the voting public that, listen, I've got a lot of great ideas and I'll do much better than your current representative who has really crappy ideas. And here are the ones that are crappy and why they do what they do. There is no justification. And one of the things that just happened, um, I don't know if you've had a chance to speak with Amani Oakley, um, but she is a fantastic congressional candidate who's running in New Jersey's 10th district, which uh, encompasses Seton Hall, uh, not too far from where you are. And unfortunately, the Working Families Party, who has a history of making bad endorsements like they did with Elizabeth Warren over Bernie Sanders in the presidential election, they just endorsed Donald Payne, who has taken over $1 million in corporate PAC money for this primary race. And they're endorsing him over Amani Oakley, who is a, who has worked on Capitol Hill, who has actually worked for the Working Families Party. I mean, that is the type of stuff, when I see that, I'm thinking, yeah, a lot of these organizations, while they may be well-intended, ultimately get co-opted by the Democratic establishment. I don't know what your thoughts are, because this literally just happened today, but it really speaks to what is still a huge roadblock in this whole process. It's tough to get union endorsements. It's even tough to get endorsements from groups like the Justice Democrats, who should have been there for Nina. Well, why are the Working Families Party endorsing a corporate Democrat of the highest order? I can't tell you the Working Families Party has done some pretty unworking, <laughs> un, uh, unfavorable things for working families, shall I say. I don't I couldn't tell you uh, why they do those things. But, uh, you know, the uh, kind of dark secret and uh, elephant in the room is a lot of labor unions, uh, the rank and file are pretty damn working class and progressive. And the leaders are pretty, uh, pretty much in bed with the Democratic Party uh, leadership. I mean, Randy Weingarten of the uh, teachers union is- Worst of them all. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it's tough to get a lot of these union endorsements because uh, union uh, union control is so centralized at the top. Uh, I mean, for example, with John Deere, it was a big tidal wave that they changed the way elections are to make it more national, uh, where it was just direct uh, you know, people voted directly for their union leaders rather than uh, the different way they did it, which was very, uh, very favorable to keeping the uh, union bosses in, in power. So uh, it is hard to get uh, certain union um, endorsements this and that. But to tell you the truth, I don't particularly think in a lot of these races, I think endorsements are overrated at this point. Uh, I think it's more what happens behind the scenes. For example, in Cleveland, Marsha Fudge, 
the longtime congressperson, she didn't publicly endorse anybody. But, but behind the scenes, her machine was working for Chantel Brown. Uh, so uh, it's more machines, uh, m- machine uh, politics than like who whose endorsement you get. To me, what matters most, particularly in these local election, is what the Oregon candidate did, which is call them corrupt, have simple but aggressive messaging. Uh, and Summer Lee, uh, again, uh, from what I saw, she was very passionate. And, you know, what actually benefited her more than a union endorsement was the fact that she was already in the state house. So. Yeah, I definitely agree that there needs to be more people who are willing to step out and are willing to go for it that are non-corporate, that already have some type of name ID. And a lot of times people are just not willing to put in the work. Uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't ones who aren't prepared. Like I said, somebody like Amani Oakley may not be elected, but she's worked on the Hill. Like she is well-versed in it. So is Maude Herezi, who's running for Connecticut's first congressional district, has worked um, for uh, Senator Murphy. Uh, so yeah. there, there is this experience factor that I think does matter. And name recognition is also huge. But like and, by the way, and by the way, yeah. you know, I'm not really in favor of identity politics, but if they're going to use it, meaning the corporatists, yeah. then Summer Lee and Nina Turner, they should have came out and saying – Literally, a bunch of wealthy white people, uh, a bunch of wealthy white uh, uh, rich people are suffocating money to stop a black woman from winning in this district. Why do you could think you that imagine, is? Could you imagine if it was a corporate uh, black representative uh, woman and it was a white guy uh, as running as a non-corporate candidate? They would have hit they would have hit that over the head of every voter till the cows came home. I would, have you- I would have done if yeah. I was Nina, I would have done a video directly to D- Democratic Majority for Israel saying, uh, I, I'm a friend. I'm a friend of Israel. Uh, why? Uh, why are a bunch of wealthy white people attached with this super PAC uh, trying to stop a strong black woman in this district? It would have got media attention. Might have, you know, you gotta, you, you gotta fight. You gotta fight fire with fire. Yes. Um, so, yeah. What do you think happens on Tuesday? Uh, with Cisneros. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you. I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but I, I think I not not knowing so much about the race because I haven't reported down there uh, directly. Uh, actually, Colin, my my uh, producer, is going down to the Bernie uh, Jessica Cisneros rally today. So we'll have footage on that over the weekend. But uh, to me, I think hey, they're throwing the whole establishment cavalry for this anti-choice <laughs> asshole under FBI investigation. Um, he's got incumbent. Uh, obviously, uh, benefits. Uh, I do think that he's a well-known name down there. And, you know, it, for people that are, think there's too much immigration, uh, they like him. It's really going to, it's, it's as we always talk about, it's going to come down to was Cisneros's ground game more than just surface level? Was it organized? Was it more than just, Oh, we knocked on as many doors. Was it strategic? Uh, uh, how early were they out? How effective were they? Um, that's what it's going to come down. If, if Cisneros could bring out young people, her core base, because, uh, you know, the uh, Quaylor will get out, the old timers, uh, the, you know, the anti-immigrant people, that kind of thing. I think, it's gonna, I, 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 think, I think it's either going to be uh, Quaylor winning by a large margin or um, – Cisneros, kind of like a summer league victory, very narrow. Yeah, I got I got a feeling this is going to be tight. Um, I can't really say one way or the other. I think if uh, if they have a massive voter outreach uh, initiative over the last four days, then, you know, I could see where she ekes it out. 
Um, but again, like I said, uh, it's not going to surprise me if Cuellar wins because the one thing that I saw with the voting splits was that she did exceptionally well in San Antonio and he dominated the border counties. And at a time where the immigration issue is a hot button issue in Texas in particular, um, it's not going to surprise me at all, despite all of the negatives surrounding this guy. Uh, but the Democratic establishment has shown their hand more times than not. And I think enough people are starting to catch on. So despite the people who are extremely nihilistic, and I'm going to use that word because it's true, uh, who continue to bash people who want to try to do electoral politics as part, not only, but as part of this strategy, understand that there are victories to be had. And every one that happens is going to bring us closer to where we are creating that momentum that we need to really start catching some huge victories. So with that said, last topic, I know you wanted to talk about what I consider to be a very important, um, you know, thread that you put out earlier today. You know, obviously there are people who are very strongly opinionated about what your role is and what you serve in terms of the political movement. Uh, you know, you, you do make your positions known, but you are still a journalist and you still have to maintain that journalistic integrity. Yeah, I know, foreign concept, but uh, I think that that is something that is extremely important. And you try to distinguish yourself in that regard compared to other people. Um, there's obviously been a lot of talk as of late with Jimmy and obviously with Glenn. And, you know, we saw that um, that huge thing that went down the other day. Uh, how do you kind of see this unfolding? Because it's almost like there's people don't realize that there are people in movements that all have a role to play and not everyone is going to play the same role. Well, first off, something that I think is extremely concerning, um, and I would say the same thing about viewers who support me is I, I really think there's, there's become a bit of um, worshiping YouTube hosts mentality uh, or worshiping journalists mentality, where if your preferred YouTube host or journalist is is criticized, the default response is you're, you're taking them out of context, or um, you're a shit lib, or you know, basically that just this, it's like almost like cult like thinking where you. People can't look objectively on what the criticism is of their preferred journalist or host because they're just kind of – it's almost like a militarist, militaristic tribalism uh, where, you know, with Glenn Greenwald, I mean, anytime he's criticized, it's you – know, I've, I've been taken out of context. Jimmy, whenever he's criticized, it's uh, uh, bad faith. That's his favorite <laughs> phrase. Uh, the people doing it, you know, Kyle, bad faith, uh, uh, you know, everybody who uh, whatever dare challenge him is bad faith. And you see that kind of out of the mouths of their supporters beyond Jimmy and Glenn, just like it's become this thing where if there's criticism of people's heroes, shall we say, um, people get very triggered. And, and I and people can't really look at it objectively. Uh, and I think that's toxic, not just for politics, but just period for discourse. Um, you have to, you could like somebody or think they do good work, but you don't have to like, you don't have to be like, it's kind of like team blue or team red thinking. Like it doesn't matter. It's just, I'm on team blue. I'm on team red. I'm going to go down with the ship. 
I'm always going to defend the Democrats. I'm always going to defend the Republicans. That's what I'm seeing with um, people in, on the left and their thinking in terms of um, YouTube hosts. I'm specifically talking about Jimmy and Glenn, who, frankly, I don't I don't even think J Glenn ever really called himself a leftist. I don't think he's a leftist. Um, I think uh, to me, I mean, I, I think Glenn is not operating in good faith anymore, unfortunately. Uh, I think that he's done some great journalism. Um, he deserves a lot of accolades for that. But, you know, to me, my um, my red flags go up when somebody is always one note, when it's always one note, uh, when you're always defending someone like Tucker Carlson, no matter what. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter what the ar uh, argument is. It doesn't matter what the criticism is. When that's the case, you have to start wondering what is somebody's motives. Um, but broader picture, the reason I did that thread today, I had a uh, we had our members call, which we do once a month status quo last night, uh, which is just on Zoom. Our paying members uh, and I talk for a couple hours and uh, I got into it with a, a member who basically was yelling at me because I'm not. He feels my coverage isn't doing enough to get people to uh, dem exit. Or, or a third party. And that argument, and he was a nice guy. I mean, I just don't agree. But that argument essentially is most of the most of the crap I get. Most people, I think it's, it's subconscious. I don't really think they realize that's why they're mad at me. But most of the gruff I get and some of the criticism of me, I mean, I'm a public figure. I'm not perfect. So there's fair criticism. But a lot of the uh, crap I get is basically because I think people have mistaken, and I think Ryan Grimm to a certain degree gets this too, the role of a journalist first an activist or organizer. So for example, when I was at Standing Rock, not because like activists are bad people, but because they, they obviously want their goals uh, to happen. So a lot of times they would come up to me and ask me if I could use uh, at the time TYT uh, to help them organize uh, an action or help them uh, you know, put together something. And I always had to politely say no, because that would be unethical. Um, I could clearly be for their cause, which I was, I didn't hide it, but you can't be organizing or, or directly part of a movement and cover it at the same time. So as I told the person on our call last night, and as I said on this thread today, you know, I think people are kind of confusing my role. My role is not to prop up like, Dem enter people or dem exit people. My role is not to build, help you build your third party. <laughs> My role is not to um, say, guide people and instruct people, fuck electoral politics, all direct action. And I think a lot of activists, and not just at Standing Rock, I've seen it elsewhere, because they so passionately care about the issues, um, to them, they don't get it. Like, well, why Why can't you? You know, why, why can't you only cover third parties? Or why can't you say down with the Democratic Party, or why can't you say a uh, hashtag fraud squad? Um, so that's what I was trying to get at, because it, it's it's it becomes frustrating when you're basically being held to the standards of a YouTube shock jock when that's not my role. Uh, my role is I cover I cover movements. Uh, I cover the good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> I cover uh, elections. I cover labor. I cover strikes, I cover union drives, I cover environmental genocide, I've covered homelessness, I've covered a lot of things. But I've been very careful, like I've, I've never directly told people, vote for Biden or vote for Hillary or don't vote for them. 
even though I was covering Nina's race and I said, if I were there, I, I, I would personally vote for her. I, I've never instructed people what to do. So that whole thread was basically saying, you know, I understand people's righteous anger at the Democratic Party. Uh, if you don't want to vote for Democrats, have at it. I mean, I, I'm not going to lose sleep over that, but I'm never going to directly uh, work to prop up your preferred political strategy. I'm not, that's not my role. It's not my role to say, burn down the Democratic Party. It's not my role to say, uh, let's focus only on third parties. Uh, it's my role to just cover stuff as I see fit. I would love to cover a lot more third party campaigns and this and that, but you only have so many resources and I'm not gonna go cover a bum duck uh, third party candidate somewhere that has no chance of winning. So um, yeah, I mean, that's basically what that thread was about because it's really, you know, I'm a public figure. People don't, if, if they don't wanna watch journalists who don't share their worldview, that's fine. Uh, but if you're watching a journalist and getting mad because they're not gonna like be part of your preferred, if they're not gonna directly help you in your strategy, well, you're, you're expecting the wrong thing from a journalist. And I think you're, you've really hit the nail on the head and again, you know, we do this podcast not because we're trying to become the next big thing. We do this because we actually, for obviously, we want to, you know, help as much as we can in South Florida and just Florida in general, which really needs it politically. Um, we also try to create as many coalitions as we possibly can. We're not going to agree on everything, but there really is a consensus. Uh, not even a consensus, but there is a coordinated effort with certain people in this movement that are doing this for a career, are doing this for clicks, whatever their motivation is. And that could be, um, I saw some people, you know, making videos about me the other day and about Jen, and they're still talking about what happened, you know, last August. And, you know, if, if it works for them and, you know, if you want to call me names and stuff like that, I don't care. I mean, we're just not going to engage you. Like you're not going to be involved in anything that we do because, that's not what your interests are. If your interests are tearing people down, if your interests are dunking on people like Nina Turner, my God, of all the people you want to bash into the ground and say, oh, she's terrible. I mean, she gave up so much and has done so much for the movement, the amount of people she's inspired. I've never heard anybody as great on the stump. And I've heard a lot. Uh, I don't know what their motivations are. And again, we don't have to name anybody. We all know who they are. You know, and I'm sure they're going to hear this podcast. I mean, listen, I'm, 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 I'll just say it. I mean, I don't, I don't think Jimmy Dore himself is um, the sole reason for this mindset. But I mean, no. it's very, very clear. I'm a journalist. You follow the money. I mean, he was stuck for a long time on his channel. He wasn't growing. Uh, I think he was stuck in like the mid 800,000s, which is a hell of a lot of subscribers, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I'd sure like to be in that. I'd sure like to have that yeah. problem. <laughs> uh, and, you know, all of a sudden, like like it was overnight, uh, he very clearly started shifting his coverage. Uh, he started doing, you know, pretty, I, I mean, I, I think I looked at his homepage once and it was like the top 20 videos I saw were all about COVID. Uh, and it was obviously from, uh, you know, he could say he's not anti-vax, but clearly was uh, putting out skepticism about the vaccines and other things. A lot of it was not factual. Uh, a lot of the stuff, I mean, he went on Joe Rogan and said, uh, if you take ivermectin, it will prevent you from getting COVID, which is a complete lie. Uh, it's been debunked. Um, and most of the content he was doing was not like on 
the union drives, the strikes, the actual like worker progressive even things. The, even the content he's doing right now. I mean, even yeah. the content he's doing yeah. right now is basically like a redirect of everything related to Tucker simply because he knows that's where the bread is buttered. You know, if, if, if all of the focus was really on where our efforts are the most effective, like if everyone was talking about, as you've been doing, where's the next union drive happening? Where is going to be the first Walmart that is going to attempt to be unionized? Those types of stories, if you really care about where this movement can go, you want universal health care, you want to end the wars. I mean, you and I are both in agreement. If you're going to provide aid, let's say, to Ukraine, my understanding was that Biden needed $5 billion. All right, so let's just say, for the sake of argument, that's what he actually needed. How does it become $40 billion over the course of 24 to 48 hours? And immediately gets passed, and everyone's like, well, look in the bill. No, I don't need to look in the bill, because I know who's going to get their hands on this money. If you think if Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, General Dynamics, if they get their hands on this money, you honestly think, that it's going to be spent the way it needs to be spent? Do you think this is going to be done for protective purposes for the Ukrainian people? Or is this just one big, giant war machine that's never going to end, and you're still not getting it? You're still looking at this like it's anything other than what it is. Now, granted, you've got everyone voting yes on it, and when I look at that, I just think, yeah, the military-industrial complex completely owns our government on both sides of the aisle. No, I guess what I'm getting at is what what I said this week. And again, it goes to this like hero worship complex because it's literally the same response from every supporter of Jimmy Dore or Glenn Greenwald. You're taking them out of context. When you literally quote, <laughs> when you literally quote somebody's words, uh, for example, Jimmy Dore in responding to Biden sending more troops to Somalia, which you and I both disagree with, uh, like, you could have just stopped that criticizing Biden for wrongly sending more troops to Somalia. You don't have to then put out false framing that, hey, if you're an anti-war person, you should have voted for Trump and the Republican Party. That those oh, were his yeah. those oh, were yeah. his, those were his words. And then and then his supporters, because it's literally like it, it's cult thinking. Oh, you're taking it out of context. It's like, well, what do you mean? I first of all, I watched the longer segment that was not just on Twitter, and it actually made him sound worse. So it's like, wait a minute. So it's 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 the people criticizing him for trying to falsely frame the Republican Party as somehow less or, or better on war. Uh, where the problem when he is he to his audience is leaving out. I don't know that Trump bombed Syria, that Trump armed Ukraine, that Trump assassinated Iran's general commander, which could have started World War Three, that Trump uh, that Trump increased troops to Afghanistan, Syria, uh, and Iraq. You Say what you want about Biden. He ended the war in Iraq, uh, Afghanistan. Trump increased troops. So it's just, it's becoming a but problem. They're, but, they're not, but there's no difference because now Biden has put such ridiculously damaging sanctions on Afghanistan and no one wants to talk about that. No, and no, again, but I, I don't think you're getting my point. My point in the criticism is not don't, don't criticize Biden, criticize Biden. Criticize oh, yeah. I, I no, just, they're, I just, they're, not, they're, they're they, not distinguishing between the two. They no, no, what they're doing is what they're doing is pretending that there's only one corrupt party in this country, correct. that there's correct. only one set of warmongers that, and they're 
play, listen, I, I don't play the juke card often, but like we know what happens when you ignore fascism. Okay. We know what happens when you ignore white supremacy. Uh, the Jimmy from 2016, I was at TYT. He went to a Trump rally and he did a video talking about how stunned he was and uncomfortable with the Islamophobia and the hate. Well, what happened to that, Jimmy? Because you don't need, I mean, find me a video where he's criticized the Republican Party. Find me a video where he, he hasn't minimized uh, that. So that's my whole point. It's not don't bash the Democrats. It's stop pretending or stop trying to frame it like, oh, the Republicans, like literally, they, Peter, this week you had lefty, lefties doing a video, doing videos that Marjorie Taylor Greene was out lefting the squad on Ukraine, mm -hmm. leaving out the minor detail that she just invested in Lockheed Martin right before the war. Like the week of the invasion, she invested in Lockheed Martin. You, don't you think that's kind of an important detail when you're pretending? Because she... You criticize the squad because anything they do positive, it's for theater. But when Marjorie Taylor Greene does a theatrical speech that she's against giving more money to Ukraine because we don't have baby formula in this country. By the way, she just voted against funding for baby formula. I'm sure they're going to do a video on that, right? Um, I so. But she, when, when she does theater, because she knew that the funding was going to get passed, so it's just a show, no vote, they leave out kind of that detail that, she literally just made money off this war. It's the same thing you're down in Florida. Jimmy did a video um, where he says at the beginning, if you're a lefty, you should be repulsed by Ron DeSantis. Okay, that's good. Good that you're saying that. But then you kind of frame it that because Ron DeSantis gave a speech that he's against the Ministry of Truth, that somehow he's more attractive on civil liberties. The man literally just banned protest in your state. Yeah. And of course, at this point, uh, people really need to understand that there really isn't a big enough anti-war movement in this country to really you know, talk about, which I think is the bigger issue here. And I think it's justifiable that people are very upset at Bernie because he did vote for the $40 billion uh, Ukraine aid bill. And, and again, it's like, well, well, why are you voting for that? Like, to me, it's not that you can't provide aid to Ukraine, but- there's so much unaccounted money that goes into these bills. It, it, it to me that is the bigger problem here, and one issue begets another issue. All right, so what if the forty billion, let's just say ten billion of it, ultimately ends up getting into the wrong hands, gets into these militant groups, and the next thing you know, we've got a serious problem in Turkey or, or who knows what. Not enough people really ask these questions. And I understand that Bernie's got a lot of pressure on him, but to me, this is a bigger issue. We are not even allowed to talk about this. That's the scary part. And I think that's the best place to, to kind of wind down the conversation because the one thing that no one is talking about is the fact that you pass this $40 billion Ukraine aid bill. We've already spent over $100 billion. How long is it going to take before the next bill is on the table? That's going to be for just as much, if not more. And no one is asking questions. Well, to me, I think that's, that's a big problem. I think the broader issue, because uh, I'm not against like humanitarian aid to Ukraine, but that's very different than weapons. Uh, give them as much as uh, I mean, we print money, so give them as much as they need. Uh, but to me, the broader issue, and this is a gr great failure of Bernie, the squad, progressives, if they had a backbone. If they had a backbone, 
they'd be in front of Capitol right now. Uh, probably for just a camp uh, encampment with the, how are you going to pay for it? Right? Cause that's what they said during the democratic primaries. How are you going to pay for healthcare? How are you going to pay? It's known that it's bullshit, but they never message on it. They should be out there right now. Of course, Bernie's in Texas, whatever, but they should be out there right now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no, no. They're not getting away with this. We're, we're told how are we going to pay for Medicare for all? How are we going to pay for this? We're, what they're talking about is $100 million a day in Ukraine. Nobody is asking how you're going to pay for it. So why are we so, uh, cons- so uh, responsible when it comes to how we're going to pay for health care for the American people? But with this, eh, it's just a few decibels, this and that. There's no messaging on that. There's no protest on that uh, because I'll tell you what, it's a damn good message. Put up a, f- a few signs. Uh, put up uh, the javelin missiles that we don't worry about how we're going to pay for it on one billboard and uh, people out of insulin on another. So we got to worry how we're going to pay for this. This one, have at it. But I don't see that messaging, and that's a big problem. No, and that's where the messaging needs to come from. And it can't just come from somebody like Rand Paul or Mike Lee. There has to be people on the non-corporate progressive side You can't allow the libertarian right to suck the air out of the room regarding an anti-war message. That is so unbelievably bad. And you can't be afraid to be hated because standing up for what is right takes courage and more and more people will agree. Yeah, humanitarian aid is one thing. The war machine is another. There are people in this country who are so ready, willing, and able to let Tens of thousands of Ukrainians be led to slaughter. Like they're just, re- they're, they're okay with it. They, they just don't care. In either, uh, and, and then I would be the first one to say, okay, so let's say this keeps going. Let's say this, this just continues for the next, we'll say six months. Are you going to sign up to, you know, do combat? Are you going to sign up to go to Ukraine and defend their people against the Russians? I got a feeling you're not going to get one hand that's going to get raised and say, yeah, I'll go over there. Right. So it's always easy to Monday morning quarterback whenever you don't have to put yourself in harm's way. That to me, probably more than anything else, is where the big divide comes in and where people really just have to have an anti-war message. Well, also isn't Peter, about not defending. I'll also say, where's the message on COVID? Because I got news for you. A lot of people don't want to hear it. The next war we're going to be fighting is with long COVID. There is a massive it's already here. It's already here. There is a massive COVID wave going on right now. Uh, the maps that the CDC is putting out is complete bullshit. Uh, we're probably right now at one hundred fifty thousand to two hundred thousand cases a day. Uh, the devil's advocate would be Jordan. What does that matter if people aren't dying? This and that. Well, look into how many people are getting long COVID. Not not old people like thirties, forties. Yeah. The debilitating illness that we don't have universal health health care to deal with. Uh, so that's another thing. We don't ask how we're going to pay for uh, the javelin missiles, the uh, tanks, all that. Uh, but we're told, in fairness to Biden, he actually has been pushing for additional COVID funding, but the Republican Party is stopping it. But why isn't Biden using the bully pulpit? Why didn't Biden use the bully pulpit against Joe Manchin? Why didn't Biden use the bully pulpit uh, against uh, his own party for the one promise he made, which is a $15 minimum wage, because he doesn't actually care that much about these policies. And he, does. and, and he doesn't mind. You know, Honestly, uh, I think 
the Democrats have, are, are now equally as reckless as Trump was when it comes to COVID. Sure, they're not putting out there like, you know, making mass a culture, a culture war, but they're advising mass. Literally the same exact, uh, the same exact um, conditions as six months ago where they were saying their rules were wear a mask inside, they're advising it now. I know people don't want these things, but it's, it's about protecting us against long-term disability because it's going to be a whole generation of people fucked uh, from these variants that are going to keep on spreading. And it's a shame also that Bernie and the squad weren't out there a year ago shaming Biden in front of the White House for not taking over the patent for these vaccines and distributing it all around the world. And, Biden, if, that, yeah. and, if, that's enough, and if that's not enough, you know, it was amazing how easy it was for them to attack Trump when he wasn't doing enough. And we're still in a situation where you could have expanded Medicare to everyone via medical emergency, and you could have been producing the stimulus checks as needed. So that way we could have had this thing more under control. Now, not only has that not happened, but people are now getting charged to get vaccinated. So as far as I can tell, if you can't see the scam that's being run on you, that's been run on you for the longest time, that's what this is all about. We have a for-profit healthcare system that is made worse, not by Republicans, but by Democrats, because they are trying to convince you that they're really fighting really hard to get us universal health care. It's just those big, bad GOPers that are standing in the way. No, corporate special interest money has engulfed both parties, specifically from big pharma and private insurance. And to those like Kirk Trader, who just lost significant loss in Oregon, he was completely engulfed in big pharma money, as is a lot of these other candidates. That, to me, is everything. The more we focus on not just what we do on the outside, but recognize that we have to get non-corporate representation on Capitol Hill, because that is the only way there's going to be this sort of titanic shift. And yes, many people are going to suffer as a result of this. That is the sad reality. We can piss and moan and say, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? Because there are mega corporations that have board meetings on the regular that decide how many deaths are acceptable in a given circumstance. So that is our system. That is where we live. And we're doing everything we can to change it. And we understand there's a lot of people who have, again, as we said, become very nihilistic about everything that has been happening. But I have to say, even in spite of all the negatives and all the things that happen, I do think there is cause for positive reinforcement as it relates to what happened on Tuesday. How much? Don't know. If Cisneros wins on Tuesday, I think that'll be good. Uh, if she doesn't win, it won't be good. But I do think getting our friend Jasmine Crockett into uh, Congress, who's from the Dallas area, you know, she may not be the most progressive person in the world and has taken some corporate money, but she's definitely somebody in line when it comes to universal health care, living wage, things like that. Um, the wins will be there and we will continue to build that base. But we have to figure out ways to have more of this consensus of we're not going to agree on everything. But the bitching and moaning, going back and forth and just continuing to create content that's all about division and making money, that's not the solution. If that's what you choose to do, that's your business. But I think the conversations that you and I have, that we have overall, even with somebody like our good friend Steve Grumbine or Osiris from Stuck in the Middle, who disagree probably significantly on a number of issues, we can at least bring them into a chat like we've had today and recognize that even if we can't agree on everything, there are things that we'll find common ground on. And that's what we need to continue doing. 
I can't thank you enough, obviously, for coming on today. Your work is obviously exceptional and necessary. Um, it is unfortunate, and you're human like anybody else, the constant badgering and telling you that you're not doing enough. And it's like, uh, why don't you try doing Jordan's job for a day, and, and then you'll shut up? Because trust you know, me, I've honestly, seen it up close and personal. It ain't easy. Honestly, Peter, at the end of the day, I, I'd rather go to zero subscribers and go belly up than uh, twist myself into a pretzel to – play to whatever the crowd wants, you know, uh, I'm always going to lead with what I believe is important to cover. Uh, I'm going to call things out that I, that I think need to be called out. I, I think if you are a leftist, you need to be called out. If you're ignoring white supremacy, like Tucker Carlson, if you're normalizing it, if you're minimizing it, uh, and that's what I did this week, uh, particularly about Glenn Greenwald. Uh, I think if you're a leftist, uh, we should call out the Democratic Party. It's a, it's basically the Republican Party of the 1990s. Uh, but we could do that without completely ignoring uh, the growing extremism of, of the Republican Party or trying to make it seem like somehow the Republicans are worse. They're both awful. Uh, and I'm always going to cover what I think is important. I'm not going to cover or try and prop up uh, other people's you know preferred strategy, whether that's third party or this or that, uh, you know. Fortunately, uh, the blessing and the curse is I get to cover what I want because uh, I went independent. <laughs> but uh, the curse of independent is a lot of people uh, think that, you know, you personally work for them. <laughs> so uh, but I really appreciate you letting me uh, talk about this and having me on. I think a uh, debate between Jordan and Glenn on breaking points could be a lot of fun. We'll see what happens. guys. Yeah, somebody, somebody else actually asked me about that. And I told them it's, it's actually it's not so much that I wouldn't do a debate. But I've actually had outlets uh, punt on on my stories, like investigative stories, uh, because they said I, uh, you're too opinionated or they saw certain segments I did and they said you don't have credibility. So I've always tried to, like, stay away from direct debates because, I mean, to Washington Post was interested in one of my Flint stories. And then they saw uh, a video I did on Flint <laughs> and said, yeah, you know, you know, the old. The old, uh, you know, you're too opinionated or you're not neutral kind of thing. So that's why I, I, stay I away from it. Yeah, let, let, and last thing before you go, you know, I got to tell you, it's really amazing how much um, how much that decorum thing plays a role in both sides of the establishment. I mean, Crystal did a video, I think it was earlier today, where, she, where basically the reason why Cawthorn got the axe was because he didn't bend the knee to the established order in the GOP. He wasn't nice enough and cordial enough. And I'm thinking, you know, as crazy as that sounds, that's probably the real reason. Probably everything else doesn't matter. Everyone is all about their decorum in Washington, D.C. Like that is everything. Being this, the elite have a certain air about them that they have to maintain this level of excellence at all times that we are truly above the commoners. And if you are not, then you are simply not accepted in our club anymore. You can bomb the hell out of people. You can uh, neglect people's uh, health and you can pay people starvation wages. But the second you aren't polite, uh, get out. That's how it works. But with that said, uh, your work is fantastic, guys. Status Coup News, if you're not subscribed, I'm sure you are. But if you're not, just in case, because, you know, they obviously uh, unsubscribe people all the time. Make sure you get over there. Hit the like button. Uh, Jordan and I will be doing a, a follow up uh, entertainment uh, video in the in the very near future. Uh, and so with that said, uh, Jordan, last word. Thanks for coming on as always. All right. Take care. Take care, brother.
So as you guys know, he's uh, he's one of a kind, um, and it's tough, you know. I mean, everybody's human, and we all know that there are things that people are going to say that often are, you know, and very mean spirited, and that's uh, that's a lot of what we deal with in politics. I mean, like I said, I saw some of the content that's been put out there about me. I mean, honestly, I have the thickest skin. I I really it doesn't matter to me. Uh, you want to call people have called me a cuck. That's cute, um, you know. Stupid stuff. Uh, and people want to attack Jen constantly um, because of, you know, a couple of things that happened uh, a year ago. I, whatever. If you want to live on that, that's fine. I think we got more important things to worry about. I think we've got more important races, more important movements that we have to build. And of course, locally, we do have somebody who is doing a really solid job in the Miami-Dade County area that desperately needs more of a consensus build regarding what I think is a very dire progressive movement in the state of Florida. But it is improving steadily as it may, as it may happen. But somebody who I do think is doing a great job. He is running for Congress in Florida's 27th congressional district, which is the greater Miami area. He is Angel Montavo. Welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, let me, uh, can you hear me? I certainly can. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Peter. I uh, was really enjoying that conversation. I actually met Jordan in 2019, right before the primary debates, the first one here in Miami. I had a good yeah. conversation with him. Very open to talking. And so I'm, I feel privileged to speak right after him. Absolutely. Doing, yeah, he's a good friend and, you know, he does a really great job. And of course, you are in a very unique situation because you are attempting to run for Congress in a very competitive district a district that obviously requires a lot of money. And of course, now we know that at least one of the U.S. Senate candidates, Ken Russell, has decided to bow out and is now running in Congressional District 27. Although, and I like Ken, but let's be honest, I'm sure that was his plan all along. And now, of course, he's in the race. So what is the current status of your situation running in the race? And what do you need to do in order to make sure that you're on the ballot uh, come, uh, obviously, uh, the end of August? Okay, first off, hey everyone, uh, for the first ones meeting me. Um, our situation right now is pretty straightforward. It's like the conventional. Right now, we're in an open primary for the Democratic seat. Our current uh, incumbent is Maria de Salazar, who's a Republican, toes the corporate party line. And so right now, we have been running this race for over a year. We're running a grassroots small dollar campaign, completely corporate money free and completely uh, powered by our volunteers. And we're basically saying no to the condition of what's going on here in Florida and in Miami. As you already know, uh, the Democratic Party here is incredibly weak and they have failed really to protect our communities. We lost three important congressional races here in South Florida. And so at the moment, we are about a hair away from qualifying. And I'm really excited about that because we're basically showing that if you do organizing and I've been involved with movement work and a different kinds of uh like even within the party and different kind of electoral work, local, state and nationally, um, that we can compete. And a campaign like ours, like you already know, is never going to have the amount of resources that uh, corporate candidates are having. But 
we do have the people. You know, we do have people who are very enthusiastic that as soon as that they hear, we don't take any corporate money and we're not only powered by our volunteers, they are on board 100%. So if out of 100, five people support, those five people are going to do blood, sweat and tears for the campaign because they know at the end of the day that based on our track record, based on the fact that we don't take corporate money and they can see that, that they're going to get somebody who's actually going to be fighting for them. We're speaking with Angel Montalvo, who is running for the U.S. Congress in Florida's 27th Congressional District. I am very realistic about a lot of these opportunities. It is obviously a mountain to climb, to say the least. I think one of the bigger problems that we have as a movement, particularly in South Florida, is that there is a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, Mm -hmm. We've made suggestions many a times before in terms of how to mitigate a lot of the issues, particularly in the Tri-County area, being Palm Beach, Broward, and Dade. There needs to be more of a consensus, I believe, uh, where a lot of the combined efforts really need to come to the forefront. And I think building up a lot of the membership, particularly within the Progressive Caucus, I think is extremely important. I am also a huge, huge fan of the Environmental Caucus. Uh, I happen to think that the Environmental Caucus is probably, uh, for all intents and purposes, probably the best run. And that's out of any caucus in the entire state. So that's really saying something, um, you know, it's it's obviously within the Democratic Party, but recognizing that the environmental issues of our time, especially in Miami, are a huge, huge problem. So regardless of whether or not the results of this election materialize the way that you would like them to, I think it is extremely important that we recognize that you need to build a movement that really has immense grassroots energy that isn't just electorally related. Uh, We obviously know of a couple of unionized efforts at Starbucks, which I believe may be in your district or just outside of it in the Miami-Dade area. Uh, I think it's immensely important that we figure out a way to rally people to unionize at Walmart. I mean, to me, that is the corporation. And I know that there are a handful of Amazon distribution centers down here in South Florida. I think most people agree that there needs to be kind of that overwhelming movement towards labor and towards the environment. And that's really what's going to get people going, even in the Miami area. Let's not mistake ourselves that, you know, labor is still a huge thing. Cost of living in Miami is insane. And let's be even more frank. There is a significant portion of people who live within the congressional district that you're running in that work in the service industry, and they are not paid anywhere near enough money in order to survive. So I do think that the labor movement and the environmental movement is really where it's at in many ways. So regardless of the electoral outcome, I'd like to hear from you what your overall plans are regarding those particular areas that are going to allow for a more sustainable movement going forward. Because like you said, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's it's pretty weak in, in, in Florida overall, uh, especially compared to other parts of the country. Uh, yeah, I'm so you got a, a lot of really good points that I, I kind of took some notes down. And actually, for my mind, they intersect. Uh, first of all, I want to say I have leaned in and essentially have decided that I'm going to say I'm a leader within the local Democratic Party. I'm also a board member of the Miami Progressive Caucus. And I do this intentionally, understanding the importance of holding people accountable. On paper, it's not perfect, but on paper, I've read the bylaws and the Democratic Party is falling far short of fighting for our communities, making sure that we have access to healthcare, that we have housing, and especially in South in Florida, but especially in Miami, Florida, the fact that we're so vulnerable to the effects of like the planetary crisis. And a lot of the, a lot of the damage is being done by people who are not just at the state, like 
uh, leg leg legislative leg level where we're here, we have a complete right wing fascist uh, legislature, but also at the local letter level for some people who even promote themselves as progressive. So when it comes to to the environmental um, and you're also mentioning within labor, uh, I think that those two things are intersectional because, again, a lot of what's going on right right here, right now, is that people can't afford to live in Miami. It is actually the most rent burdened metropolitan area in the entire country, more than Los Angeles, more than New York City. And we are being pushed out. Like you were saying about the service industry, I have worked in the service industry throughout my entire time in Miami. I've been a bartender, sanitation, I've worked in the dish pit, so on and so forth. Um, and... All of my friends can't afford to live here. We are being pushed out. We're being displaced. And a lot of it has to do, especially with the climate and the gentrification that's occurring. So for me, uh, my involvement with the party and my involvement with the Progressive Caucus and also being involved at the statewide level is to really say we need to hold people accountable. If you're taking corporate money, there's no reason for anybody in our community to trust you. And that's a blanket statement. It's not personal. I'm just saying any corporate candidate is not fit for office. And that's that's very controversial locally, but that's a line that I've decided to draw in the sand. Because for example, we had, I was a very big supporter of, it was the Hialeah store that unfortunately was one vote shy of unionizing the, uh, the Starbucks store. But then there was also the Miami Springs one that um, was successfully recently organized into a union. So that that movement is happening here. I know that I'm involved with the, the labor caucus within the party, but I've also been on the street. I know personally the people who were um, involved in the unionization. Uh, shout out to all of you guys. You did an amazing job. Um so for me, the way that I see it is I've been a movement person. I've been involved with all of these local organizations that have chapters throughout the state and throughout the country. And it's like you're saying, we do need to develop a coalition. I know that you and I and Jen have spoken about the fact that like there is a bit of a disjunction between here and Broward and Palm Beach and all of these different locations that it's it's the, it's the whole thing, you know, we're stronger together. And we need to set aside, like, our, like you were saying before with Jordan, our differences that ultimately, uh, you know, it, it's a lot. It's a lot less significant to me to criticize the people who are the most progressive, yes, the relative figure, uh, like a relative position. But for me, there are way there are people who are way more responsible for the squalor and the desperation our communities are living in than a lot of the progressives in Congress, for example. So we really do need to understand is this is a class issue more so than it is a partisan issue. And that at the, at the end of the day, um, any corporate candidate and Republican, are their corporate owners are not to be able to provide it. If they stay the right, they're never actually going to have the spine that actually fights for what the community needs. And the last thing I'll say, uh, Martin used to talk to his staffers, and there was a point where he said, Look, you all have to get rid of this fear. And if, you're, if you are in that space, then you, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to participate because we really have to understand this is life and death. I know that connection isn't great right now. Um, it's what we're working on. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Uh, it's still a little off. Um I think it's, uh, well, you know, we've had the bad storm in the area, so that's uh, probably yeah. one of the reasons why. It's, it's actually raining but, outside. Yeah. No, I think you made a lot of great points. And obviously, again, it is uh, it is a very uphill battle. But part of the reason it's so uphill is because there isn't a cohesive, uh, 
you know, movement that is really needed. And I think that that's, and especially because Miami is such a major city, you would think that that's something that more people would be engaged with. So, you know, we, we obviously have a, a long ways to go, a lot of fighting to do, but I do obviously, you know, commend your efforts. I think you're doing a great job. And obviously, you know, depending on how this ultimately pans out over the next, uh, I guess, filing days, uh, June 15th, I believe, you know, so there's um, obviously the deadline coming up, depending on what happens from there. Obviously, it's, you know, it's a race to the finish line if you can, you know, get through. If not, you know, there will obviously be a reassessment period. But I do think it's important that we have these conversations because, again, electoral politics is not the end all be all, but it is important. You know, the people that are pulling the levers of power, they have a lot of say in what happens in our day to day lives. And it is important to be engaged locally right now, especially in the progressive movement, not anywhere near as engaged as one needs to be. So we do have a lot of work to do, but I want to give you the floor uh, for the final minute to, you know, make any pitch that you'd like to make. What is your website so people can check you out, get involved, anything that they'd like to do? Absolutely. So. I just want to say at the end of the day, this is something that we either do it or we don't. I understand the, the resistance towards like getting involved in electoral work, but I've done enough community work to see that we are putting bandages on broken limbs and we really need to also hold people accountable because it's not fair that people keep getting away with murder from both parties and they continue to completely just be able to coast on their, you know, institutional backing. Um, so this is an, a real opportunity. We are, I feel confident saying that we are going to be qualifying and that we're going to be on the ballot. A frustration that I've had, and I, it's understandable, like you're saying, is that there isn't as much energy at the moment, but we're putting in the groundwork so that when it comes time to qualifying period being over, we're, I feel very confident that we'll be able to get the progressive organization's endorsements because how could they not? You know, we are a small dollar uh, campaign. We represent the values and we go as far as we can possibly, as well as being involved within the institutions of the party. We're covering all our bases. So what I ask you, if you're listening to this at the moment, is that you help us out. Our website is MontavoForCongress.com and our social media on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook is Montalvo Florida 27. Now that's FL 27. Right now, the biggest way that you can help us out is by making a contribution. Like I said, we're grassroots. All of our donations are small dollar. I'm really proud of the fact that it's something like $40 average contribution. And we've been able to do enough to print out materials, which we all print out union. And so right now, that's the biggest way that you can support us. Like us, follow us, share our material all the time. If you want to DM me on Instagram or Twitter, that's me. I'll get, I'll get to you. I'm happy to have a conversation. I want to say that I'm the people's candidate, but I'll show you and not tell you. And, um, and again, thank you, Peter. And thank you, Jen, for having me on. I hopefully I get to be on again soon. I really look forward to potentially ask, answering questions that people in the community have. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely, brother. Guys, MontavoForCongress.com. Go there. Check it out. Follow Angel on social media. If you are in the Miami, the greater Miami area, you know, again, this is an opportunity to get involved with local politics, which is something that we don't do enough. And it also helps to start building more of these non-corporate coalitions that we desperately need. Angel Montalvo, have a wonderful weekend. Thanks, as always, for coming on. Thank you so much, Peter. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, brother. So we obviously know that Florida is unfortunately not a it's it's not a great place in the country uh, to try to do non-corporate uh, political movement. That's why it's, you know, it's kind of a miracle that we were able to accomplish as much as we did with Jen running against Debbie and us not having, you know, any type of a financial war chest when we did it. 
but I think we've learned a lot and, you know, we'll see what happens in the future, but uh, it's tough. You know, Florida's, uh, Florida's got a lot of problems. It really does. And, you know, we're working our tails off to, you know, try to change that. And of course, you know, I wanted to make sure that we had our second show as we talked about today. I thought it was very important that Jordan, you know, obviously wanted to come on and talk about, you know, a lot of the stuff that's been going on. A lot of these distractions that are, you know, they're not, they're not productive. And that to me is a very big part of the problem. Uh, we were probably going to postpone. Jen and I, like I said, have been under the weather. So basically it's been one big pontificating with Pete afternoon. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. Obviously it's uh, getting into Friday evening. And so I will be back. We will be back. Uh, we will definitely be back on Monday. Uh, Monday is going to be a great show. Uh, our good friend, Margaret Kimberly, uh, from, uh, oh crap. What's the name of the organization? Uh, slipping me right now. Uh, but Margaret Kimberly will be back on Monday. Uh, we are also going to have a candidate for governor of California, Michael Schellenberger. He is coming back. He is the independent. He is a very formidable candidate. And we are also going to be speaking with Jeff Waldorf of the TYT network. So we've got a lot coming up. Also very important guys. Jen is going to be a guest on rising uh, on Tuesday. Uh, don't know if the clip will drop Tuesday or Wednesday, but it's definitely going to drop next week. So be on the lookout for that. And again, like I said, Jen is, uh, on the mend, but, you know, definitely recovering from a cold. Uh, we all have, uh, you know, these bouts, uh, the seasons have changed here in Florida. Uh, it's pouring rain still, uh, you know, but definitely, uh, a bout with allergies, I would say, uh, I was pretty out of it for about three days. Uh, but, you know, definitely uh, recovered. Yeah, the last night on Monday when we had the live stream, that was the last time we were, I guess what you would call, in normal uh, health. Uh, but it's been rough over the past four days. Uh, Starting to feel a little, get my bearings back to some degree. Uh, but again, uh, appreciate all of you that obviously follow the show uh, and obviously share this live stream. Uh, Going to obviously drop it on our channel as soon as we're done. Uh, I think that's it for today. Uh, I think we've definitely covered some very important topics. I will just reiterate again, uh, the victories on Tuesday, I think were pretty significant, particularly for John Fetterman and Summer Lee. Pennsylvania really holds the key in many ways to what's going to happen in November. Uh, huge victory for uh, Jamie McLeod against Kurt Schrader out in Oregon. Uh, that is that that victory is not going to get talked about enough uh, as it should. Uh, obviously, we're very... Uh, you know, we're very unhappy that our good friend Erica Smith in North Carolina's first congressional district did not win her race. Uh, she also was the victim of a lot of corporate special interest money, and I believe APAC money at the last minute that came in and gave her campaign the old heave hope. So there were a number of bright spots, uh, some that weren't as bright. Uh, but overall, anytime you have bright spots, when you have a non-corporate candidate going up against all of the corporate money. I mean, just think about the fact that corporate special interests spent four and a half million dollars against Summer Lee for this guy, Steve Irwin, and he's still lost. That really says something. But then again, it also says that money can't buy everything. And maybe that won't be the consensus going forward. We'll see what happens with Jessica Cisneros on Tuesday. Uh, can't really... Uh, can't really say one way or the other which way I think that election is going to go. I think it's a toss-up. And maybe we'll catch lightning in a bottle and get another victory for the non-corporate left. 
That would be really nice. I think uh, with the senator from Vermont uh, going there today to help just because it's known, hopefully get over the finish line. We'll see what happens. I think Bernie obviously does a great job on the stump. And so we will see. And like I said, we've got a lot of great shows coming up. We may have a very super special guest on Memorial Day. Really looking forward to that. And yeah, we've we've got a lot coming up. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying the live stream. And remember, if you do like what we have to offer, if you like our content, if you think what we do is worth supporting, because again, we do mutual aid locally. We support non-corporate candidates, do a lot of things that I think a lot of you would really appreciate. So go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. And for as little as $5 a month, you can support our show. And we do, as we mentioned, a lot of things at the local level, whether it is homeless care packages, whether it is beach cleanups, whether it is uh, we do uh, food distributions uh, with a great local organization nonprofit called Mobile School Pantry. So, you know, there's a there's a lot that we do. And again, this isn't about us getting paid. This is about us making a difference here locally. And you can be a part of that. So go to patreon.com forward slash generational change if you'd like to support. And with that said, we really appreciate you guys. Hope you have a wonderful weekend and I'll see you Monday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.